Friday's episode of Daily DVR Presents House of the Dragon is brought to you by Cufflinks.com. Head on over to Cufflinks.com and use code DVR20 to save 20% off your order, no minimum. Cufflinks.com has the greatest products for looking good. They have all the geeky stuff. Man, if you want like a Star Wars tie pin, you want some cufflinks that have the Captain America shield, Game of Thrones, all the sports teams, college sports teams. They have everything to add that little touch to make you look great. So look awesome when you step out the door tomorrow. Go to cufflinks.com, use code DVR20 today. Welcome back to Podcast Winterfell. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking about House of the Dragon finale, season one, episode 10, The Black Queen. You can check us out at dvrpodcast.com. Become a patron over at patreon.com slash dvr want to thank everyone for downloading and listening this season. This has been so much fun. We've got three people with me today. We've got two guests, I should say, for with Gina and I. Of course, Gina's here. We've got the originator, the creator himself of Podcast Winterfell, Mr. Matt Murdick. And we also have, I got a phone call the other day. It was like, Hey, Foley, I watched the Dragon Show. Let's talk about it. So he's here to talk about it. Mike Hull is back on podcast Winterfell 2. It's been a while. Everybody's here. Let's say hi to Gina first. How you doing, Gina? Hey, I'm doing great, Axel. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Matt, how are you, my friend? I am driven into the ground after this season, but still here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. And Mr. Mike Hull, how are you doing, pal? I am doing great, buddy. It's wonderful to hear your voice. Yes, it's wonderful to hear yours. Back on the Winterfell, talking about a different dragon show. Now, before we get into it, we had Matt on the first podcast. You've been listening to Gina and I the whole time, folks. Mike, you just finished basically streaming this whole season. Give us your quick or... With you, it might be difficult to be quick. We all like to talk. So <laughs> however long you want to, I shouldn't limit you. Have be, have be free and tell us what you thought of this first season of House of the Dragon. I, I'm really excited to hear everybody's opinions and everybody's thoughts because I haven't been watching. So my wife and I made the decision to wait and binge in the last week before the finale. So we, I've been avoiding podcast conversations. You know, you catch memes. You know, you can't miss all the memes, right? But like, uh, but I have been sort of out of it. So I'm really excited to hear what everybody thinks. I I was surprised at how quickly I got uh, recaptured by this who's sitting in the seat I don't actually care about, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, we have been watching these people argue about this chair for years and years now. And I I came into it with sort of low expectations in a way, you know, we talked about the end of the, you know, of the original show and, and not thrilled about it all. Da, da, da. I didn't really have super high expectations, but of course, by the end of the first episode, it was like, we're going to watch the next one, right? Yeah, we're going to watch the next one. So I really, I'm, you know, uh, I'm back. I mean, it was great. It was, uh, it was, it's hard. It's impossible not to compare it to 
the original show, right? I mean, I don't know. I'm yeah, sure people, not everybody likes that, but it's impossible not to sort of compare it to the original show and compare it to the way season one of the original show was much more constrained, you know, to sort of just a couple of families and just really getting to know people and the way it expanded so much. So initially I'm watching and I'm like, you know, there's no Tormund, you know what I mean? There's no, like, there's so many sort of character archetypes that worked out really great in the first, uh, in the first series. And I didn't see a lot of those, you know, and I was like waiting for the sort of comic relief to show up or something like that, you know, uh, and that never really happened. But by the end of the season, it's easy to sort of compare it more to the first season of the first series and really think about it started sort of small. It started sort of King's Landing and grew from there. So with that comparison in mind, uh, I thought it was good. Plus, dude, the gold dragon is the best dragon yet. The gold dragon's amazing. Well, I'm Love glad Cyrex. that you are happy about this, man. I really am because I know that you really love this story. And I know that you, the final season was frustrating for you. The final couple seasons of game of Thrones, rightfully. So we've all been through it before. We know it was condensed. We don't have to go through the whole story. People have had that opinion. And I think we there, that's a valid opinion, right? So I'm glad that you were happy about it. And Mike, you hit upon. So I think, Besides the time jump, the three main things that I think people kind of criticize, which is like a lack of humor and kind of um, being able to really care about a character because there is so plot heavy and the time jumps. Um, and I think uh, what was one other thing you had mentioned another part? Um, I think actually that was it. That, that I think that's really the big complaints that people have had. But overall, it's been very positive, I believe. I don't know. What do you think, Matt? How, don't you think that the kind of the, the after the final season of Game of Thrones, I think people have been much sounding like Mike sounded. Yeah, uh, I think that the viewership tells you the numbers you need to know. It's the second biggest finale ratings for HBO since the series finale of Game of Thrones. Uh, that tells you that the people who are loyal to the books that were very wary of coming in to this new HBO production and, and wanted to see the story, but weren't convinced that HBO or Ryan Condal or Miguel Shaposnik would be able to do it, uh, became convinced by the end of the season. So I, lots of successes. I've heard those criticisms. I understand a lack of humor. There was always at least a little bit of a Tyrion line to come in, you know, and kind of alleviate some of the tension. Yep. It's hard to keep tension up. Uh, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul may be the only two shows that could ever keep tension up for an entire episode successfully, in my opinion. Uh, so it's hard to do that with a, a show where you're just getting to know these characters. Yeah. But I think they did a pretty good job. Uh, I think uh, we're going to see the locations expand. You heard them talking about all different kinds of places, uh, you know, as far as it being too central or around too few people. You heard it talking, uh, them talking in this very episode about, you know, all these places that they need to secure their allies from. Yeah. Uh, so I think we're going to see the world expand, too, which will make it even better for those few complaints that we have heard this season. Yeah, that was the other thing that I had forgot that you mentioned, Mike. Not enough characters, like not enough humor. And also you're with a lot of the same people for so long. Um. 
but well i think you know it's like it's more just a matter of sort of like thinking about what i liked about the last one you know and that idea of sort of Tyrion, like you were always glad to see him in a scene because you never really knew what he was gonna say you know he might drop a sort of joke you know that right that kind of thing so i don't know i i didn't really necessarily feel a complaint about it as more just sort of an observation and then you know like i said by the end i'm 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 realizing like oh this is going to grow and you know we may get more of that introduction but in place of that you know viserys was great dude patty constantine was great (laughs) i mean that and I, you know, we never really had that kind of a character, you know, a, a, a king that you could sort of be like, well, at least he's trying, True. <laughs> you know, so there were some other things that sort of came into this one that that we didn't really see in the last one that I think worked. And when I really knew that that they 100 percent had me was when, you know, when Corliss comes back in the room and he's on the cane and you realize he survived you know, this, this long sort of trip at sea. And I had like an emotional reaction, you know, I was really like, and you know, that, so what now we're on the side of the Targaryens, like gross, you know, right. I mean, but I was glad to see him there. And that's how, you know, it's working when, you know, you sort of sit up on the couch, like, yes. Yeah, definitely. Gina, what do you, what are you thinking about what we're saying? I mean, I think, you know, consistently, yeah, the time jumps, a little annoying, lack of humor, annoying. And I think, you know, I kind of reached the realization with the last episode, like, let's just say that this story is being told by a different maester than the one who wrote the song of ice and fire. You know, it's, it's a very different, it's, it's a different story. They're telling it in a somewhat different way. Um, I do think that this series is much more filled with emotion you know i mean everyone at the end of last season like you know this this whole danny just going like apeshit crazy at the end what's what's that all about like was this really enough to push her over the edge i think we saw renera go through more to push her over the edge in this one episode Mm. than we may have seen for the whole buildup as of danny so you know and even in the final blow aside um with the the loss of luke she'd already lost a whole lot and was still really keeping the strain like nope we're not going to go to war yet and that's ultimately i think what what won her rainy support but you know i just have to think of it as it's this is a different story they're telling it in a different way and it's really about one family at the end of the day and the complex relationships between them and her complex relationship with Alicent as well, which I think is is still much more at the core of the story than we realize. Yeah. That little touch of Otto handing her not some official document, but uh, I guess a picture they had done. I don't. Re- I didn't remember if it that was. was it was the page episode. that. Yeah, oh, that it was she the ripped page. out. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now I remember. Yeah. There, thank you, Matt. Thank you. Yeah, so that was uh, that touch. I think brought that home. Um, I like to ask, kind of. I like kind of starting at the end with this show. But um, I saw a article that said, um, you know, it was like kind of just clickbait type of stuff. But it brought up kind of an interesting point. The title was clickbaity, but it was like making the start of this war 
based on like a childhood accident, right? Between the two kids on dragon was a mistake Mm. that it somehow Mm. diminishes what we had seen before because he didn't tell the dragon attack. They were both saying right one after the other, heed my words, listen to me. The dragons were not listening to them. Right. And they were doing their own thing, which we might have opinions on why that happened. But I'd like to ask you all and Matt, we could start with you. How did you interpret that? Do you, do you agree that that, maybe kind of takes agency away from the people or do you feel it adds somehow to this story? I believe that it adds agency to the story and to the thread of Viserys's tragedy overall, even after death, his words still ring true. The first thing he says to Rhaenyra when he tells her that he's going to make her heir is he asks her if, you know, what makes the Targaryens what they are. And she says, are we gods? We're not really that. Um, that as far as the dragons, I think that's an illusion that we give control to them. And he agrees and he says, the control of the dragons is an illusion. Now, that doesn't mean that the dragons won't obey them. It just means that complete control over these dragons is impossible. And he even goes so far as to say, and this was the thing that I questioned it in the first episode was, you know, he could even go so far to say that it was lack of control of dragons or he implies the lack of control of dragons was the cause of the burning of Valyria of the doom. Mm. So what I saw and there were a lot. I mean, you look at the Rhaenyra birth to Emma's birth and all of these things. There may have been too many bookends to this season, but I think they were trying to encapsulate all of this as a setup to the war, which is what we'll get for the rest of you know this series. So to bookend it like that with Viserys's words and then Aemon and Lucerus's action, uh, their dragon's actions, I thought was a beautiful way to tell the story. Now, I know lots of people disagree because they've read the story and they understand that there were other intentions. The book implies other things. I don't worry about that. Uh, as Gina said, another maester is telling the story. I want the other maester to tell the story the way they want to. And I loved it, but I do understand those criticisms when people have it. Uh, what did you think of that, Gina? The the uh, idea of this being somehow out of the hands of the people at, at the end, really the dragon starting it. Well, I think I think it actually is a common thread that has been throughout this whole season is that lack of communication between the people is what got us in this situation. So the inability to clearly communicate with our own dragons, it seems poetic in a way that that is what starts this war. Um, Yeah. Uh, And there was some, there was, there was clearly some very instant regret uh, on the part of, Amond. Like, yeah. yeah, he was having fun being a badass bully. Yeah, that kid took his eye out, you know, who was trying to defend not only his brother, but his cousins at the time when he did it. And I don't think he intentionally tried to take his eye out. But, you know, years pass. 
Amen is a adult now and or pretty much an adult and he should be able to get over that. And he seemed to be more over it at the time when he got his big bad dragon. And, and I think it, there was instant regret. Um, the look on his face, it's like, he pretty much crapped his pants. So, you know, that's, but poetic in the fact that they can't control these dragons. They can't clearly communicate with them. Yeah. Cause they can't communicate with each other. So why is the dragon going to listen? Yeah. Wow. It's great being able to talk with people that have these great ideas because I think both of you make me really think about it. And I like what you said, Matt, about um, what how it had been brought up with the king and what you're saying, Gina, how it reflects on the people. It makes me what it made me think of is they kept on showing when Renera was having her miscarriage, they kept on showing a dragon I didn't imagine that, right? Like they kept yeah. on flashing to like a dragon eye and like and and I thought she was going to somehow cuz I in this store in the in this book and I think in the other books too that they talk about like Targaryens having babies that like look like dragons and like are weirdly deformed or so I think there's another story in this same book about that. Uh, I might it might have been this this one. I can't remember. Well, there are there are a few. Yeah. Okay. So In, I, including Daenerys when yes, she miscarried. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Good point, Gina. So I kind of felt like that the the dragons did want to fight. <laughs> like I, I kind of feel like it it doesn't particularly take it's like the that whole thing about not being able to control them and then also, in a sense, then, if like you said about Valeria and them being part of the doom, like maybe it was dragons that did it, you know, um, it makes me think of this same thing, how the th that magical element is kind of taken out and you we're just looking at the people making the decision and we're like, oh, the, the strong king did this or Renera did this or whoever. But really we just see these dragons being used as weapons, but really maybe they are a little bit more involved in the prophecy and the story going forward and kind of guiding it, which I actually kind of like that magical element. Like it made me like the story more too. And like you said, Matt, where it shows that they really don't have that full control over the dragons that they think they do. Yeah. Uh, First of all, the dragon that she kept seeing the image of was her own dragon, mm -hmm. Cyrex. Uh, secondly, I understand that kind of connection. I think that, and of course, I've already recorded with my panel, but the general consensus that we came to, and it's not a right consensus, it's as much reckless speculation as anybody else's, but the the conclusion that we came to was the fact that they were also at the same time showing that the dragons cannot necessarily be controlled completely, but that there is also an emotional connection, uh -huh. an emotional nice. intelligence of the dragons. Yeah. And so where we see these shots of, of Syrax, uh, wasn't anything magical happening to Rhaenyra. It was something magical happening between Rhaenyra mm -hmm. and Syrax, where Syrax was connecting emotionally with what Rhaenyra was going through. Now, that's like I said, that's what we came up with, but we're just throwing, we're just throwing stuff to the wind when we do that stuff. I, I, yeah, I actually really agree with that, Matt. And I think it's something, I think what it would also stand to reason that both 
Luke and Amond have emotional connections with their dragons. And even if their mind was telling them to do one thing, their mm. inner emotion was oh, telling them to nice. do another. And, and, it. and I feel like we saw that a lot with Danny and, um, and her primary dragon Drogon. as well, Drogon. Um, particularly like we, you know, he came and rescued her a couple of different times, very intentionally, like they had that connection. And then also at the end, after Jon Snow killed Danny, um, the dragon shows up and he's mm-hmm. mad at Jon, but he burns the chair because that dragon knew that chair was her obsession and it was what really killed her. That's mm-hmm. what I always thought. So I feel I there's definitely like I an like em- not necessarily a mind meld, but an emotional meld between um, dragon and rider. Now, I saw something and Mike, I'd love I want like to hear your voice again. I'd like to hear what you think about this. When we saw. In the sequence of events that occurred before her miscarriage, the news she was getting, what it signaled for the future, and then to see the dragon, I don't know. I got this weird feeling that like the dragon and the magic was somehow causing her to miscarry so she could fight, so she could be more ready. It was like, pregnancy's over, babe. Sorry. You got to get ready for a war. So we're, this is, and the dragon was almost, that's why I felt like this, that kind of power of the dragon. I really like that they emphasize this in the episode. Mike, what do you think of that idea? Am I crazy? Well, uh, I mean, no crazier than anybody else who's making things up. Um, And I think like all of this makes a lot of sense in terms of their relationships. But to me, I sort of connected to something a little more, um, you know, Bismarck, a little more realpolitik, like how this, how these stories kind of get told. And I compared it to this moment, to the moment where um, the wife is in Allison, right? Is that her name? Is in with um, Viserys, like in his very last moments. And he says something about Aegon and she thinks that he means her kid, but yes. he actually means you know, the conqueror, right? He's actually mistaking her for Rhaenyra and trying to have a conversation about something that she would know about. And so I had this moment where I was like, that's a real fucking loose thread. That's a real weak thread, bro. To like, now all of a sudden she's she's gone from being willing to, to sort of see things through that now she wants to, to go to war over a mistake, you know, a sort of uh, a, a, mis- a misunderstanding in speaking. That seemed like really a small ball to me. But the more I thought about it, the more it was sort of like, you know, she's she's been ready to follow her father in the war this entire time. She had one little moment where she was, you know, thinking about not doing that. But then this this thing was all it took, actually, to get her back into that war footing. And that it was intentionally really small and a misunderstanding because it wasn't her nature to make nice. It was her nature to make war. And and I think that that the dragon situation with them sort of saying one thing and, and the dragons doing another is another one of those situations where he's going to come down and he's going to plead his case that he was trying to tell it not to do that. But 
he first he wanted to take the kid's eye out. Then he was going to fight him. You know, then he was just going to straight up fight him in the yeah. thing. And then he took his ass out and got on the big dragon and went and chased him to begin with. Uh, so like true. the idea that at the very end, he had this one moment where he was like, oh, no, don't do that. I, I mean, I think that that relates really well to Gina's point about his emotions were still in the same place. Emotionally, he still was angry. He just had this panic moment and tried to back it off. You know, but the dragons don't have guilt, right? The dragons don't have that sort of feeling. And to me, this connects to the way, you know, George tells these stories is that a lot of times things that happen are sort of based on feelings and rumor less than, you know, the actual event itself or the real sort of facts of the story or whatever. And I think it relates to the way he thinks about narrative and the importance of stories, you know, nobody believed the White Walkers were coming because it was this dumb thousand-year-old folktale. And it was, you know, that sort of the narrative around that was just was not real. You know, the the Red Woman ended up being way more powerful sort of as a rumor than, than as an actual warrior. You know, it's those kind of things where I think that he likes to, to sort of play with story and and point out that a lot of times it's the story that is driving things more than the actual events. And the dragon thing played into that for me. Also, it just looked completely badass. Mike, the, the only problem is with the television show, you don't have the luxury of really destroying the narrative of one person as opposed to another, especially in a scene like this where we can all interpret what happened between Vagar and Arix in different ways. But at the same time, uh, there's some, some concreteness in the fact that he did try to hold it up. And you're totally right. I mean, Eamon is to blame for all of this because he, he could have just let Luceris go back to Dragonstone with his tail between his legs. And that would have been the end of it. Luceris would still be alive at the same time. Uh, I love how the way that we're all interpreting the, this ending as being a way to bridge the beginning of the series to the end, uh, at least in my mind. I just think that it, it's a wonderful storytelling element. Maybe it was a bad choice, uh, but I still feel like, to me, it wasn't. And I feel very much in the way that... Uh, since we don't have the luxury of a mushroom coming out and saying, I saw this or seeing him write something down on a page and then a Maester Runin writing something else down in another page uh, that's completely different and us having to parse through it. Uh, we, we unfortunately, as watching a, as a television show, get concrete scenes that, again, can be interpreted differently by different people, but they still have some element of documentable evidence to them that these stories that we read George weave in the book, because everything's told from a POV, right? Yeah. So, you know, you never know who your real re not reliable narrators are. Some are more than others. Some are less than others. But uh, here there is a truth within the visual, which is always interesting. I think that's a real challenge for the show. I think that they, they have to try and make things questionable, which is why we're asking, well, were the dragons really out of control? Was there an emotional connection? These are the kinds of things that that's the only way that they can create the same kind of unreliable narrative within a distinctively visual scene. Yeah, that was great, though, when the big dragon comes up behind, you know, it's that you kind of knew it was coming. And actually, they did it again 
where they had like almost the same exact image that is in one of those dragon cartoons. What what what's that cartoon called, Mike? Did your kids watch that dragon cartoon, <laughs> How to Train Your Dragon? That movie's awesome, dude. Yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> but there's a scene in How to Train Your Dragon where the same thing happens, where there's like a kid right, and then behind it, this huge dragon that's like ginormous in comparison kind of comes like as a shadow behind them um but that yeah even as a lover of that movie though i have to say uh it was much better in the show yes and i really you know i really enjoyed it it just did it does it seem like there's a lot more not just more dragons in terms of like different sizes different colors different you know that kind of thing obviously there's more dragons more people riding them but also it seems to me like there's a lot more dragon anatomy in this series than in the last series. Like there's a lot of like overhead shots where you see like their shoulders working and you really see like the anatomy of the wings. And, you know, one of the dragons seems like much sort of longer than, than yeah. any of Danny's dragons, Damon's you know, there's dragon. Yeah. Where it's like, well, it's, it's a long neck, but also like there's a very distinctive sort of rib section and yeah. a distinctive sort of hip yeah. section, but it has a much longer It looks more like a lizard. And no spine, looks, because somehow it can... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't that's understand how that dragon flies a salamander, at all. I should that's say. Ex- yeah, it looks like a... That's right, like a salamander. That's a very good point. Like, it seems to me like there's a lot more just dragon anatomy in this in this series, and that is working for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really enjoying I all agree. of that. Well, they also, there was a great, uh, you had it in the notes, uh, Gina, uh, talking about dragons as weapons again. Remember how mm-hmm. when we saw um, Otto was like, it was worth his eye to get the dragon to our side. Right. And now you have Damon kind of counting them. You, you have your three wild dragons live on Dragonstone, and then he was counting all I, I think he's, that he's got eight eggs and an incubator. Yeah. I know I'm, I'm keeping track of all the dragon. And then of course we see him singing to one of the wild dragons to try and to try and tame his dragon, that a new awesome. dragon. I yeah. love that. Yes. I'm yeah. all in on the weird dragon and the connection to the, and I just love that this episode emphasized that because I feel like it's just, that's the magic and the mythology that I would, that, really attracted me originally to game of thrones that we started out with the white walkers and the dead bodies and different weird symbols. Like I love that shit. So getting that on the dragon, uh, was pretty cool. Um, I'd like to ask a little bit, talk a little bit about Damon because this was a little weird. There's a very, you know, he was really violent towards Renera choking her. Um, he seemed to kind of like become, instantly obsessed with like this war and then i got the feeling that they're they were really setting up kind of um a rivalry between rhaenyra and damon again as we had in the very beginning of this season um what do you think about that gina you know it's interesting because in some ways i kind of felt that not that it came out of nowhere, but when he he did take the crown that he had last placed on 
Viserys's head after that long haul to the to the throne in a previous episode, he looked at it in a way, and it was hard for me to understand if he was more sad about his brother or more covetous of the crown, even though he turned around and easily placed it on Rhaenyra's head and bowed to her, acknowledging her as queen. Um, They've gotten along so well for these years they've been married, which I don't know, maybe it's about six or seven or eight, somewhere in there. But um, but I don't know, have they? Because she didn't seem utterly shocked that he grabbed her like that. Like she didn't was she afterwards. Well, she wasn't like, what the fuck? It seemed like maybe it had happened before, but maybe that I don't know. That's well, the world. You we've know. to to be fair, we've only seen one sex scene between that's them. True. We don't know yeah. what their kink is. That's, we know there's foot true, fetishes Gina. in this show. We don't that know what true. else there might be. Um. But, you know, I think these moments of violence, <laughs> in the Game of Thrones world, moments of violence towards women, yeah. sometimes towards women the men love. Like, we saw Jamie rape Cersei in one scene as well. So it's, you know, I think adult relationships are complex and different. And while, yes, that was abusive, in some ways I don't find it surprising. No, I didn't find it surprising. Yeah. I just felt that... I did feel like they are foreshadowing a rivalry between them mm-hmm. that uh, I, this house I, is not as tight uh, just like Allison has things going on maybe with her dad or, you know, we don't know with the foot dude, you know what I'm saying? Like, well, she and, has and her that, stuff going on. And that might be more about the women having to deal with complicated men in this situation, because honestly, it wasn't just Damon that was bloodthirsty to go to war. It was all the rest of the dudes sitting around the table, too. You know, they were all riled up and and, you know, she was very shrewd about the steps she wanted to take. And um, it it won her, um, you know, the. I'm blanking on the name. It won her Rainies and Corliss's Navy in the end. And I think she's got a really good head on her shoulders and is very thoughtful. And I think Damon has always been pure fire, you know, in some ways, like, like, like Danny was, you know, they sometimes take action before they really think about the consequences and, in in some ways, Renera is more a bit like Tyrion was in guiding Danny. Like, well, let's think about this, yeah, you know. Let's true. let's take let's you know take a step back and and think things out. And they and I think did it's it. much. Allison did. I'm sorry to interrupt, but Allison we saw in the last episode yes. it was the same fucking thing. Race yeah. to get the and, sun to stop. And it. I think in this story and in life, sometimes men have a hard time listening to women in situations like this to be like, Hey, let's, let's think about this. Let's calm down. And, and so it's, you know, they, they want to do what they want to do. And sometimes being told, but they to not do it is, is hard. And yeah, I'm sure he's jealous. It's, it's, you know, I think it's pretty complicated, but Um, yeah. When there was a part when he brought out, those two soldiers with his dragon (laughs) and he did like a loyalty test and uh mike 
did you, when I, when it happened and he said, who before this, who did Viserys promise was his successor? I thought he wanted them to say you. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I thought. But I don't know. Maybe I was wrong. Did you get that impression too, or what do you think about this rivalry? I, I don't. I I don't really see the rivalry so much because because you know Damon. I mean, what really said? I was really sort of surprised by his. Uh, what do you want to call it? When he just sort of like went and became a philosopher, I guess, and, and became like a bookhound and sat in a library and drank shitty Dornish wine yeah, uh, and had a couple of kids, you know, and, and like <clears throat> there was apparently this 10 year period or something where he really wasn't involved at all. And, and, and when, she, when his wife was talking to him about it, he was saying like, isn't it great having no responsibilities, having nobody count on us for anything. Isn't that fantastic? And, you know, I really believed him and I don't necessarily think that he, I, I don't think that, you know, I think when she said to him, you know, he never told you, right? Like, you don't know the 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 history. You don't know the lore, right? He didn't share the dream with you. Um, you were never the one, I think is what she said or something like that, right? Yeah. And I think that he, that, yeah. I think that he has sort of known that for a long time. Um, I, you know, he's obviously keyed up. Uh, you know, his kids are in the house. He never liked those other people anyway. He certainly doesn't like, you know, sort of question being questioned about the legitimacy. He has also made comments about, um, you know, the fact that. So anyway, I don't know. I To me, I think that, that it was more sort of connected to his his concern for what he thinks is the real progression of his family, you know, and he has been the one remember the really the only one in the show who has been who has sort of reminded everybody of the Targaryen history of incest and like talked about it like it was a positive thing right so I think that he may very well have some sort of opinions even about his brother marrying a high tower you know he the way he referred to his first wife was you know he didn't particularly like her he said she was a ball buster or whatever but it, it never seemed like it was enough to kill her, <laughs> right? Yeah. I think so. I think that he's more cool. sort of. She seemed good. She seemed great to me. She seemed like yeah. she was going to be the new Arya, but she only lasted yeah. like ten minutes. You yeah, know. No. Um, and, and so I think that he is more sort of committed to, to the the Targaryen, the sort of myth of the Targaryens, and and what he thinks that is supposed to be, and how he wants that to be maintained. And to me, you know, what he immediately went into to doing was setting defense perimeters for the island and talking about defense. You know, he didn't start sort of dismissing her claim. He didn't, you know, start sort of saying, like, all these guys are on my side. What he did was start talking about how to back her up. Yeah. So I think it was just kind of a heat of the moment thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, I dig it. And also, he's a shitty person, dude. I mean, like, they, this is how they, this is how they <laughs> fuck with you in the show. Yeah. This is this is what's so good is like, you know, at some point in every episode, there's a reason to not like Damon, and then a reason to like Damon. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it like yeah. he right. goes back and forth more than anybody else in terms of sort of the extremity of of you know whether or not you actually like him. Yeah. You know, and also he got the one big battle scene. 
of the season, right? When they went and, and went after the crab guy. That was really the only sort of Game of Thrones style battle scene, you know, the big thing that they're sort of known for. Right? I don't. Am I missing one? I think that was really the only one. And he was unquestionably the hero of that adventure. Comes back out with the crab dude chopped in half and shit. <laughs> I mean, that was good stuff. And when they do that in this show, we are meant to like that character. You know, I mean, how often does it happen where, you know, you, Jon Snow is like, it looks like he's going to go and he's in the middle of all the things. Like that character, that sort of, he was the hero character in that scene this season. So that, that's I don't true, know. Man. That This show, I, I think... uh we talked about it a little bit with the humor, but the fact that they like generally they all are Targaryens and they all think that they and they talk like you said about the Tar map before about the Targaryens being like close to gods or something. Right. There's that air about all of them in a sense. And that ba that interior battle some accept it. Maybe some don't want it. And you see with Rhaenyra. We're now seeing her go back to when we saw her jump on the dragon and challenge. It was Damon that she challenged. Remember, right? When he took the egg. Um, so we've seen her kind of come back to it. So, uh, yeah, I've had that kind of feeling the whole season, which is this. I feel like this show, though, it does lack the I kind of like cuteness or comfortability of some of the characters because they all are in constantly with the jumping around heightened tension right this is a this story is told differently so we're seeing them only at those moments um so you get less of that kind of uh cheers mentality that you had with the end of game of thrones when they're all hanging out in front of the fire you know what I mean? Like, I can't really see a, a scene like that with these people. <laughs> you know, like, I just don't, I kind of. Everybody hates each yeah, other. There's not even exactly. enough sort of like ambivalent feelings yes. to get them together for a nice meet so, or whatever. Yeah, there's not a lot of warmth. But in that same respect, I think they've accomplished better that gray that you're talking about, like with Damon and with most of all of the characters, because in a sense, I do think the Targaryen kind of makes them all a bit horrible. And I think that an, an elitist and conquerors of this place, whereas part of Game of Thrones was that I was kind of always on the side of Westeros. So even though, you, you know, when the Dan, I mean, we don't have to get into the whole how the Danny thing happened, but I always kind of understood the idea that it was, it had been ruled by people from somewhere else for a very long period of time. And I thought that was like kind of a purposeful, as you were talking about politics, political statement within the um, story itself. And now that we're with those high class people, they get you though. They really get you. Cause I, when this kid gets chopped in half on the fucking <laughs> dragon, I didn't like freeze frame to see if you can see the kid in the air. I don't know if anyone else did, but I was like, ah, like it really did. And then Renera's face at the end, when she kind of makes that turn there and here's what happened. I really did feel that. And I felt that they, they did, they, they can get me in there. Even if it's not in this warmth way, you know, it is with that kind of like, uh, just 
that fire, I guess, is the way to put it. I don't know if I am explaining it correctly. They're invaders, dude. Kick them out. Yeah. Kick them the fuck out. <laughs> Get them out. We don't. They're no good. That's how. That's that's. I don't know, Matt. What do you feel about my uh, Targaryenism? Well, I, I, I mean, you're entitled to feel about the Targaryens <laughs> any way you want. So I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. Uh, but I do have a slightly different perspective. Um, one of the things, one, one of the things that I've really found funny on the internet this week is Mike was talking about memes earlier is one that you constantly see, or at least I constantly see on my Twitter feed, which is uh, the mean mug of Rhaenyra when she turns around at the end of this episode. And then the mean mug of Daenerys when she turns around, uh, at the end of the episode where, uh, Missandei gets thrown off the ledge. Oh yeah. Uh, so they, they call it the, the, the pair of war faces or whatever. I don't, I don't know. But anyway, uh, I don't see the Targaryens as being any more or any less complex than any other family in Westeros. Uh, I think that that perspective probably comes from reading, uh, the books rather intensely with people like Mike, um, on this podcast a long time ago, you know, where we would put like feast for crows and dance with dragons together in the same, in the same read, you know, and do the tandem read and just get really intense about things, pointing out football games that were happening within the ship, within the pages between the giants and the, and the cowboys and all these other things. <laughs> oh, those are good podcasts. Yes, it was. Uh, so my point is, is that I think you find complexities within the Lannister family. I think you find complexities within the Tully family. I think you find complexities within the uh, Targaryen family. Obviously, this show's job is to show all of the complexities, whereas Game of Thrones, uh, which is the other television world that we know of this show, had to deal with all of the families and didn't quite get the chance to paint those intricate pictures that you sometimes find in George's pages. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying, but did I die? Yeah. Oh, no. Do oh, we still I'm, have access? I'm muted. I'm sorry. <laughs> ah, I muted okay. myself to get a mint. Um, yeah, <laughs> I thought I, I was dead. I still, but you do see the elitist part though of that. They are different in the sense that they conquered this land. They're from another place. They have dragons. Well, now with Axel, though, we're being told that they conquered this land for a reason that was for everyone. Oh, so is that a great point, Matt? Great point, Matt. That's true. And that you have to respect the magic. That's right. Like that magic has a plan. Yeah, you really. (laughs) I mean, that is what this world is. Right. I think that's something that's what I find is. When I see comparisons to our world or just in story, I'm always I mean, I think generally speaking i'm one to kind of accept the rules of the world and see it just as take it as it is but i think especially with this and that's why again i love the dragon stuff in this episode because it just kept reminding us this is a magical fucking world like yes people are making decisions and we can sympathize and empathize with what we have been through in our lives and what we see in our lives but I am not leaving my house and going to ride on a fucking dragon. I wish I would, (laughs) but that is not occurring. And when that happens, your brain is different. You know what I'm saying? Like that. Could you imagine what power that is? And I think that was a lot of the Danny thing. Right. And I think that's what we're going to see going forward. 
that power of that dragon and can you control it? Is it controlling you? That whole question that we've already discussed, I think just kind of changes the rider too, you know, and their mm-hmm. brain. And you think now I'm interested to see, um, you know, how, what the response, what aimed is he saying? I did it by accident. You know, we didn't get to see any of that, right? Well, there's even there's also even a sort of like less magical, like does anybody here own a gun? Like, go buy a gun and just have it in your house for a week. Like, you start having weird ideas of like what <laughs> what is for it's yourself, good for. brother. I don't know. Yeah. You get a bigger gun and you start having weirder ideas. I don't got guns in my house, man. No, but I know what I, you're talking about, Mike. That's what like, I mean, right? Any that, kind yeah. when you have power. It's, think in about that when way. you first drove a car. You know people who study martial arts their whole lives, and they tell you all the time it's not for beating people up, but they're real fucking flinchy in bars. You know what I mean? It's like having that that ability, it it changes you as a person. It changes the way you think about conflict resolution. Like, I drive way too fast to have a gun in my car. You can't – it's not a – you know, it's impossible not to think about it as a potential resolution. And a dragon is, you know – there's a reason why there has to be, you know, 20 people sign off on a nuclear, you know, uh, nuclear attack, right? It's not just the president. Like a lot of people have to sign off on that before it actually happens because they recognize that just having the access to that weapon is is enticing. But not but that's not the way in this world it only takes one. Right? What that one dragon rider is riding that has that you know, WMD potential whenever they get annoyed, you know what I'm saying? So I think that that's, I think that that was kind of what I felt in that scene when the big dragon eats it too, is just like, regardless of who is in control. Now we see the kind of like power that just that a snap, you know, can change everything. Poor little kid. I like that kid too. I like that kid I was too, but about the whole episode, I was like, "Don't, don't, kid, don't go, <laughs> don't go, kid, run to your dragon." Sorry. I I do think though this has been a whole generation or two of dragon riders that have never really had to use their dragons for mm, war. So I think that's true. interesting. And then if you want to think about elitism. I mean, even before Danny had her dragons, we had plenty of that in Game of Thrones with the Lannisters and their gold. Like they they just would buy anything. They Very buy true, off people yeah. they wanted right. for power. So, you know, is it and that could be just as damaging. Thank the you, Bernie wedding. Sanders. You are right. <laughs> the anyway. controlled the money, the means of production. Fucking and, Lannisters. you know. Dragons eventually die. Gold eventually runs out, as we learned in both cases, pretty much. Yeah, true that. Um, what else we got to talk about? I'm, uh, you got any topics you want to chat about, Gene, or anything from your notes? Just that I think Renera is like a total badass. Like, I mm. think she is. And and also just like a really good person in a way, despite her extramarital affairs. Although she did, you know, have a um, husband who preferred men when she was having those affairs i do think she's actually a really good person with a good head on her shoulders and you know it was really sad watching her prepare her own baby for the pyre ceremony and 
She you is know? our hero. I think that at the end, I've been going back and forth this whole season, trying to see who are they. But I think it's clear it is Alicent is being, and the, they are the Greens, right? Yes, yes. They are the bad guys, and the Blacks are cut have their issues because Damon's involved. But other than that, they're the good guys. I think that's where they're. That's where the show. That's the perspective of the show. That's how I feel. And and I know we are all saying, oh, you know, it was really kind of Eamon's fault for, you know, egging on Luke and then chasing him and everything. I mean, if we really want to get down to it, it's really all Allison's fault because for years she was not to hate secretive yeah. about her feelings about Renera's kids being illegitimate and being Harwin Strong's and her her kids had even heard that multiple times from him that's when you know that's what happened that's what started the whole fight that took Eamon's eye out in the first yeah. place so yeah. if we really want to get down to the series of events in some ways they really started with Alicent Gina uh, are you considering Alicent's motivations for all of this when you say that, because I don't place it, I'm not saying it's not a high tower problem, but I place it on the fact that Otto drilled into her at a very young age uh, after she had had children that her children would die. Now, it was Allison's choice to believe that and to carry on and act on that yeah. notion. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I always look at it as Otto actually being genuinely concerned for her and her children. But at the same time, saying the one trigger word that set this whole thing off. Yeah, you know, point, I mean, I don't think Otto is innocent in this by far. However, I don't think there was ever any real threat of um, Renera killing her own half brothers. Uh, and I think that kind of you know, Otto's motivation to drive Alicent and even his grandchildren in that way, it was clear on his face when they finally crowned Aegon King in right. the Dragon Pit last week. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So should, should, why do we want to blame Alicent? Nah. We, we really should blame Otto. Well, I mean, well I, she did say she never really had any agency to think for herself. Um when they kind of had an argument uh, in the Green Council episode. Yeah, so, you know what, though? I think the last episode for me, Matt, I think the last episode shows that when she wants to have agency, when she wants to try to control the situation, she can mm -hmm. because she bested her dad. Right. She so mm -hmm. when you I guess the question we have to ask is a question we always ask ourselves in life and with our own life is other people too. like when does your upbringing, right, your environment, at what point does that choice that you make is your own or of where you're from? Right. Or what you've right. experienced. And for every situation, I think that's different. So I see your point. Yeah, because I, I think that's that, exactly yeah. why I prefaced it by saying Allison didn't have to listen to him. Yes. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think so, that's what we have to ask ourselves with each character, right? Like, right. 
how we feel about it. Cause it's but I'm team green, so you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I kind of have, like, it's hard for me because here I am sitting wearing a New York Jets green uh, hoodie as we're recording this. And <laughs> I always associate green with good and love and love. So it's hard, actually. That's why I was like, team, like, I want, you know, it's hard for me to see it that way. But I see why someone could see that. And. I, I made that point, I think, earlier on the podcast, which is I don't know if I agree, Gina. I kind of think that she might be looking around and going like, these fucking Targaryens are nuts. She might kill my kids. Like, this is like some like prophecy shit. And like, this is some serious stuff. This is not like, you know, PTA. Oh. This is kings and queens. And like, I kind of felt her perspective. But I don't know, you know. The type of relationships that she has developed and the power dynamics that exist kind of show me that she's not making good choices. Like, you know, at least like give Laris a glance while he's jerking off on your feet. You know what I'm saying? Oh, like, oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? You Come can't on, help lady. it if she has super sexy feet. Yeah, she, well, you know what? Her feet aren't that bad. I'm going to tell you. She's oh, my God. She's no no part of her is bad. She's she's a good looking lady. But um, I'm just saying that it is true that she has continued the type of relationship between her and her father and what happened with her, her father and the king. That's kind of how that set the tone. And she's not challenging that, but she's challenging other things. So she needs to challenge herself a little bit where I think Ren- yeah. we've seen Renera kind of challenge herself and her own assumptions Right. And admit at times that she was wrong or Mm -hmm. so I feel that's why I feel more of a growth with that character. At least that's how I feel the show is portraying it. There's there's a bit um, Allison suffers from a bit of arrested development, I think. And I do feel like that's because of her father. She's 14, right? For sure. And I think Renera, you know, and maybe it was just the responsibility of being named heir. Um though I do think she could have done more to prepare for that role and get in good with the people across the land. I do think she at least took that responsibility seriously. Um, And, you know, she grew up and made a life for herself and one that wasn't completely dictated by her father and in the way Allison's was. So, um, Yeah. Well, that does bring us to, um, I keep on thinking it, it was like a thought since I think Mike mentioned it early in the podcast, the part where, where Damon is like gathering there and everyone's gathering the four. Oh no, Matt, you said it, that we're going to see other, that the, this world is going to get bigger and we're going to see, you know, other families, other places. Um, so I think we're kind of coming to a close here. I'd like to ask everybody, what are you looking forward to in season two of this show? Um, and is there a place, a person from maybe from the books or maybe someone they mentioned in the show or something that you want to see? Uh, Gina, what do you think? Well, I am excited, although we'll probably be seeing places that we've already seen before. I was very excited to finally see Storm's End um, and I'd like to see it on a sunny day. So maybe we'll get that. But um, I guess I'm excited to see how, I mean, I'm just excited to see how they 
continue with the story. I mean, I've, I've read the book. I basically know the gist of what's going to happen, but I'm really interested just to see how they fill in the gaps the way they have with this one. And um, I'm interested mainly in seeing how both Damon and Amon continue to develop because while I am team black, I do love me some Eamon Targaryen. I cannot lie. <laughs> Put an eye patch on that boy and the long hair. It all works for me. Um, he's a compelling character. That was he's very compelling. Casting. Yeah. Um, that actor was in uh, Last Kingdom and he played uh, this monk that was a bastard monk that uh, just was the most, I don't know, uh, caring, loving <laughs> unable to hurt a fly kind of guy and forced to fight. And then you see that actor play this guy. And it's just like, that can't be the same guy. I love that casting. Yeah. And, and I'm also very interested to see what happens with Helena. I really like that character. I would like to see if in her visions that she's having or these prophecies she's making, if people finally become wise to some of the things mm. she's saying and that they actually make sense. Yeah. Um, she could be I a think, valuable weapon. Or yes, like she could be. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. She really could be. So I'm, I guess those are the three characters I'm most interested in seeing how they continue to develop. Not that I'm not interested in, in the other characters. I am interested to see if any type of relationship can and communication continues can continue between uh Renera and Alicent as well. Cool. So those are the things I'm kind of looking forward to to seeing. Love them all. Mike Hall, how about what are you looking forward to and any final thoughts or salutations you may have? Uh well two things. I, I was really fascinated by <clears throat> the way like last time, you know, my wife kept having to leave the room when somebody was getting raped. So like she missed several, <laughs> several chunks of several episodes. Right. Because she just doesn't want to watch that. Um, and she actually commented before we started watching this time, you know, about being ready to walk out of the room when somebody's getting raped. And this time we didn't have that. Uh, in fact, like this, you know, the, the one, real sex scene we had was Rhaenyra losing her virginity, right? And it seemed like almost calculated to be the counterbalance to Daenerys. <laughs> to Daenerys's first experience, right? It was like yeah, just this complete... Yep, yep, definitely. You know, and, and also the way it was shot, the way everything about it was calculated to be completely different. Um, so we didn't have that problem this time, but since the last series, uh, my wife has had two children. And so oh, those have got to be triggering then all those scenes. So this year she was walking out of the, the room when people were having children, you know, because yeah. of just how dramatic uh, and how heavy it all was, you know. And I, so in one way, I'm sort of I'm really curious about the way they carry on you know, what happens next season with this type of sexual politics. And and I don't mean like the politics in the show. I mean, sort of the politics of representation and, and how you, you include these things in your creative outlet. Um, I'm curious, you know, because rape is, 
sort of an easy thing to fall back on if you want to make somebody, you know, a, a real villain or whatever. You know, there's there's several sort of things to use it for. And they used it in every possible way more than once in the last series. Um, so I'm interested to see if they end up falling back on that or if they, they manage to sort of carry on the way they have without representing sex in that way. Um, I like, I don't know, like I, I it didn't, I've I've been sort of impressed with the way they haven't relied on that this time. Um, yeah, the, there was only the you know um, Aegon and the servant girl, but we didn't have to see it. We just yeah. only heard of the aftermath, right. which and it was, was also, a little more palatable. And, and also the way that yes to that all of that Allison's and response too, and also the way we saw Allison respond yeah. and the way that it was treated. You know it it was sort of recognized that it was something that he could get away with. And he said it like, so what, you know, nobody cares. Right. But she cares. And, and that rebuke happened, you know, in a very specific direct and timely way um, that I, I can't think of a comparison <laughs> in the previous series. Um, so I'm excited to see how they, how they work with that. <clears throat> also, I mean, they're still talking about song of ice and fire, right? Like, where's the goddamn Starks? I mean, she just sent one of her kid off to the Starks. So I'm sort of assuming that the Starks are going to play a big role uh, in the next season in the same way that it was the sort of Stark Targaryen, you know, uh, combination that was really the big issue of the last series. Uh, so I'm expecting there to be some Starks and I'm expecting to really dig the shit out of old school Winterfell. Yes. Mike stole mine. That's what I was going to say, baby. This podcast, Winterfell. I want to see Winterfell, <laughs> baby. on your feet. <laughs> you saw it on the map. That was the first time that I think anyone said Winterfell through this whole uh, fucking season. But you saw that map was amazing. Uh, How did we not mention that map? I was just going to, as you said, when we saw Winterfell on the map and I was like, yes, it was amazing. And the way yeah. they lit it up that way, I, that was definitely something we didn't get last series. Yeah, I have to say. I did see, I saw one tweet that said, how come nobody told Stannis his shit could light up? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is, I, I have to say, I was going to say Winterfell for what I'm looking forward to um, and the wall because I love that shit. But another thing that I really appreciated this whole season and the map is a great example of it is the love and the care of like physical miniatures on the show, which I've loved like Viserys Hulk, like um, Valerian map thing, 3D puzzle Lego thing he was making. And like we've talked about it before, when they were choosing the kings and they had these little things, the little ball that sat in front of them, um, this map and the we and the the symbols and kind of little like figures and things they were using to put on the table to mark the houses. I just I love when they invest time into that kind of stuff on this show. And I think that there's a story behind that, that there's somebody, the prop person, or there's some art department person who is like obsessed with this and is injecting it into the show. Uh, and I just love to see that kind of stuff. I don't know. I'm, I thought this season was amazing. I was really kind of swept off my feet. 
I didn't have much negative to say. I absolutely loved it. And uh, I just, I can't wait until the next season. Matt, we'll let you take us out, brother. What are you looking forward to? Well, it's going to be short and sweet. First of all, uh, I do not like the balls in the in the little plates because all it did was make Lord Beesbury into a corner pocket. <laughs> oh, second, <laughs> second. Uh, the only thing that I'm looking forward to next season is meeting the Muppets because we heard both sides, Allison's side and Rhaenyra's side, mentioning the Tullys, and we heard the names Grover and Elmo at least. <laughs> I think there was <laughs> so I, I really want to meet the Muppets. In Game of Thrones. They better there. have shaggy hair and big noses, dude. <laughs> well, that's fantastic, Matt. All right. Is that your do you have any other answer? Or is that where we're we're leaving it? I'm just looking to see the story expand. Uh I love the different interpretations. We like I said earlier, we get three different point of views for every event yeah. basically in during this course of the period in Fire and Blood, the book by George. And so I can't wait to see what the interpretations are. They're going to be great. I love it. Yeah, me too. Well, Gina, thank you so much for coming on this journey with me. We've had a great time. Uh, this have. has been a great season. Do you have any uh, final words for us? I don't think so. I think, you know, just uh, can't wait to see when we get this next year 2024 i don't know probably 2024 at this point it'll be another long wait but um hopefully there'll still be a lot of fun memes in the meantime because the memes around the show have been just so freaking funny and awesome um and in some ways that brought more joy back to having this world back was just the way the internet gets so creative and representing things and representing things and that it's you know it's like a group activity we're all involved in together and and watching it and loving it yeah and you know what this podcast was a a group activity i want to thank um matt and mike i want to thank jenny andy roberto heath mike lacombe check out one mike on youtube bubba and catfish sean pink trey that's all the guests we had on this season Um, This was really fun to be able to just every episode have a new friend come on and chat with us. For me, that's kind of what Game of Thrones and this whole world has become about. I love chatting about it with people and experiencing it. And I'm happy that I think the community in general, there's always things that happen throughout a season and you know, you know, there's always controversies or whatnot, but generally speaking, I felt like this was a fun experience for me, probably because I stayed off Twitter, uh, not completely, but a little, but mostly, um, but the whole experience has been great. And just for podcast Winterfell, you know, whenever something else comes up, we're going to cover it, whatever they do next, the snow show or the whatever if they do like a i i I guess they're working on like eight other series that they might do at any point in time we'll we'll cover it we'll be here and i just want to say thank you to everyone who's listening who downloaded uh takes the time to reach out and uh we love you all have a great evening peace out all right that's a season baby thanks everybody okay Thanks, everyone. It was. Thank you, Gina. Okay.
I'm gonna go good stuff. Beef.